This is Supervised Learning, a podcast where the Merlin Mind team learns from experts in artificial intelligence, technology, and education. We hope you enjoy learning with us through these conversations with those who know. Time to learn. Okay, welcome everyone to this episode of Supervised Learning. We are very excited that you are spending some time with us and sharing your stories with us. Uh, we have a unique group of experts on the call today, so let's quickly set the tone for what we're going to do. We have educational experts that are in the classroom, at the administrative level, at the state level, who've kind of gone up and down the spectrum of all the things you can do in instructional technology, educational technology, and guiding the future of education. We're going to learn about one specific innovator, Phil Harding, who has brought a new AI technology into their classrooms that we build called Merlin, the digital assistant, AI digital assistant for classrooms. And we're going to kind of zoom into what does it look like to bring something new into classrooms and to bring AI into classrooms? And then we're going to zoom out and hear from experts like David and Jeff on challenges, opportunities, questions, applications. Uh, so my name is Levi. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer here at Merlin Mind. And David. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Dave Kolberhaus. I work at San Bernardino County Superintendent of Schools, which is a county office of education in Southern California. And Jeff. Yeah, good afternoon. <clears throat> good afternoon, everybody. Um, Jeff, I've been an educator for gosh a long time, and these topics are always super interesting to me. I'm hearing what my friends at the county office and and the school district are doing, um, the visionaries that are there. Uh, my current job is I work here at the Department of Ed in in Sacramento um, on all things education. And Phil. I'm Phil Harding. I'm the Technology Integration Specialist for the Valverde Unified School District. I'm one of the most senior teachers, as my superintendent, Mike McCormick, reminded me this morning. And um, I would like to say I was first teacher on the internet in my district. I'm also a, a member of the Q Board of Directors, which I'm really proud of that and serving the Q a community that advocates for technology in the classroom. Um, so but, let me oh. let, let me pause you there for a second, Phil, and bring David and Jeff in. So just like reflect on the role of an educator at the front end of technology and why it matters to bring things like email and the internet and file fetchers into the classroom in 1992. And how does that matter for today and today's teachers and what we need out of classrooms and technology and learning? All right. So um, just for some clarity, I have never worked in technology in schools, and I've never done it at the county office. But I've spent a um, tremendous amount of time looking at the future of work. And I've had chances to speak across the nation around that and what it starts to look like. And so for me, um, it's always built, it's always been about um, really looking at this digital disruption and what does it mean for our kids? You know, and and when we talk about upskilling, we always talk about what we're going to do outside of education, but we really have to think about how that starts to come into our classrooms and the work that we're doing as we're starting to think about, I mean, McKinsey said by 2030, 70% of global firms will have adopted at least one type of AI, AI technology. So you have to think about kids are going to go out and I don't, feel that we have to worry as much about the jobs being replaced, but how they're able to work effectively with technology. And we have to think about 
where that starts, especially when you look at our kindergartners and think about what's the world going to be like when they graduate. And so, and I'll add one last thing. I, I had uh, a conversation with Laura McBain. Uh, she works at Stanford D School and the, she's director of the K-12 lab at Stanford. And, um, and, and she's always been all about design. So I asked her this question. I said, what's next for education? I thought she was going to talk about, you know, how they're changing design. She goes, for me, I think it's going to be, what does AI look like in the classroom? Mm. And so that was very indicative of where things are going. I was going to say, I took some notes, David. I think we're going to definitely come back to what you talked about, about the future is not so much about worrying about AI replacing us, but how are we going to work with AI? So we'll come back to that for sure later. Jeff. <laughs> it's funny, you know, Phil and I have known each other for quite a few years now, but it's uh, small, shows how small the world was when he was drop an internet connection in 92 there in Valverde. I was actually teaching elementary school up over the hill in David's district in San Bernardino in, in David's County in San Bernardino Unified. And I remember I was teaching fourth grade at the time. And I, if, if those of us in California know fourth grade is all about California missions, things like that. And, you know, kids are just becoming, coming into their own. And so you're teaching and writing process and things. And I remember I had um, you know, some kids that struggled. I mean, my kids on, they were 504 plans at the time. And, um, the summer before I got that job, um, actually the summer before, not the summer before my last year in, in college, I worked at this accounting firm where we used, um, these, uh, Radio Shack, uh, TRS-80 model 100 computers. Anybody remember those? These little bricks that had a little screen about this big, it had a full keyboard, right? And they were moving on to something else. And so they're like, hey, do you want these? I'm like, sure, I'll take them. You know, a lot of the good teacher is, you know, we, we will we'll take anything. Right. And so I remember I brought them in and we use them for different things. And we're talking the most basic, 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 not fancy, nothing. We didn't do emails by Phil. But <laughs> this one kid, I remember using that, he was actually able to then get his thoughts. Everybody thought he was challenged. But because he was able to peck out the things using the, the, the computer instead of a pencil um, and pen, it was like, oh, he all of a sudden just took off. And I remember it was like, oh, here's a tool to get what's up here on paper because his motor skill, because of his, the, the challenges he had just wouldn't work. I mean, here's a fourth grader who looked like he was, uh, you know, a TK in his handwriting, you know, in now, nowadays. And at that time, I mean, it was my first year teaching. I was like, okay, yeah, we got to use everything we have available to make our our students um, should be able to show what they they know and be able to learn. And um, you know, I think fast forward to now, it's like it's not a model one TRS eighty model one hundred computer. It's all sorts of things. And the whole idea, it's not about the right computer. It's about the experience, the job. Like David said, it's like, oh, okay, we just got to do our job. How are we going to do it differently? Okay. okay. So Phil, now I want you to tell me about the kind of you first on the internet, and then I know you were very early with a lot of different technologies, but some that have become mainstay, we could say, in how technology works in classrooms today, including uh, the Google kind of ecosystem of applications and tools uh, you had at one point iPads and then Chromebooks. Uh, just that quick kind of summary of like why you were early with those, and then I, and then we can kind of zoom back out, but it'd be helpful to get that context leading into then like how you got AI. Well, it, you know, one thing leads to another. Uh, we had yeah. Intel teach the future in 1998, 99. That was a Microsoft initiative um, that helped us give every teacher a, uh, a computer, a laptop. 
and also gave him a copy of Microsoft Office, right? So let's think about where that goes. You know, suddenly we start changing real instruction. Teachers start putting things up on screens and getting projectors. Projectors were unheard of in 1992. I wish I had a projector then. I didn't. Um, and when I went to Q, the organization I belonged to, Computer Using Educators, uh, first time I discovered them in 1992, um, the number one priority of the Q group was let's get a projector in every classroom because David Thornburg said, we have them in bowling alleys. Why are they not in our classroom, right? Mm. And um, that was the next steps, getting the projectors in, getting the use of PowerPoint uh, and Microsoft Office, getting people to use the network, getting email communications. Imagine how email communications changed everything and how the district office communicated, how a principal communicates, how staff talks to each other, right? Um, it ended the isolation of teachers in the classroom is what it did. But then the next step comes along. We needed really to find a better way of than putting kids in computer labs. That just wasn't working. Not enough exposure with a computer lab because you only get a couple hours a week. You know, it's like going to music one, one day a week. It just doesn't do it for you, right? Or it wasn't for me. Uh, we I... first went and looked at iPads because we saw the use of tablets and thought, wow, kids all have a tablet and get their textbooks on it. But the iPad needed one, one problem it couldn't get across was the iPad could not get that cost point down so that we could deploy it equally across all of our kids, you know, the equity of it all, right? Um, and then Google says, hey, look at the Samsung Chromebook. Um, we're going to be able to sell it a lot cheaper than an iPad. We could buy three Chromebooks for one iPad. And it revolutionized everything. My superintendent, Mike McCormick, is a visionary. He has this whole plan called the portrait of a graduate, right? Where we want our students to step into the future. And Google became a partner in that. We held the first Google symposium. We put up the Google backend. Uh, our teachers loved the fact that they could all share documents with the, them, not only themselves, but with students. And uh, the next thing you knew, uh, we went one-to-one -one with Google devices. We also tested the first three or four Chromebook models that uh, Google was looking at. Um, and, and we had quite a success with that. So, you know, I think one thing uh, that David was talking about is always thinking about the future. I think that's what we always have to do because you have to at least keep going forward. And I believe the next step is artificial intelligence. So let's now talk about what is AI and what does it have to do with education and classrooms and teaching and learning and what we, what we're going to work with, right. To David's point earlier and come to like a common understanding of like what we're talking about with AI. And then we can go into this specific application of what Phil has done with AI in the classrooms at Valverde Unified School District. So I'd love uh, for our expert guests here, what is your understanding of what is AI and what does it mean to talk about AI in terms of education? Um, yeah, I think I, I think the the thing with AI in education is you know we're, we're we haven't quite figured it out. You know we're not it's not being used like it's being used in the rest of our world. You know it's like I tell these guys a story they know. You know I was out disconnected from everything talking about a propane fire pit, how awesome the propane fire pit was because it didn't smell my smoke. I mean, we had no connectivity. And then two weeks later, Amazon's like, hey, you want a propane fire pit? You know, and so 
you know, and that's just, you know, marketing, all the other stuff. I mean, there's so much analytics and artificial intelligence that is feeding our, our you know, us in, in our, all of our lives, the way we can just do live. You know, I think in schools, we haven't really got to it yet. But I think there's an opportunity or maybe we are and we just don't know it. You know, I think about, I mean, I wasn't a writing an English teacher, but, you know, the tools that English teachers have now when it comes to writing where they can, you know, check for original writing, they can check for um, grade level of writing, they can do, you know, there was a tool I was talking to somebody where they can evaluate the writing process where it looks at the references and looks at the resource, you know, track the kid and, and, you know, then you can get like a, a um, it quantifies what an English teacher already knows, you know, and, and but yet we need to you know, we're have to embrace it, systemize it so that, you know, kids don't have to do a writing exam, you know, during every April or May when we do standardized tests. And then we also have to put that into the other, the other um, um, subject areas. I mean, Jess was a math teacher. It's like, you have to give up two weeks to give kids tests every spring. It's like, how about just let the device assess them all year long and you know, you know, how the kid's doing. And then you don't have to because the multiple choice tests that we've digitized are the same test. I mean, I'm 55. It's the same multiple choice I did back when I was fourth grade. It's just, it's on a computer. It's a multiple choice. And multiple choice is great for efficiency because it was on a Scantron. Remember, mm. stack of Scantron saying high school teachers? Multiple choice wasn't a pedagogically um, great way to assess. It was an efficient way to assess. And so our assessment, we've just digitized it. And I feel like AI has an opportunity where we can norm it get true track truly track students learning and mastery of a topic without invading their privacy and protecting their privacy um and we haven't got there yet it's one of those funny things that we'll talk about that we were talking about that at the national level and we're like you talk to the testing people and they look like we have an eye right up here you know because like what are you talking about so it's we're still got work to go on that i think in education space but i think they're some of it may already be happening, but we just don't even quite know it yet, I guess. David, right. is that kind of what you're tracking? <laughs> yeah, and, well, and and it kind of builds on the question that Levi asked. What is it? And most of the people you ask go, well, I kind of know it's like in my personal life, you know, it's in my phone. I know it brings me ads that I want. I know my kid, he... uh he does his phone in a way that creates ads that he wants to be shaped to what he wants. And I'm like, I don't like ads. He's like, well, I like it. And here's how I'm going to set it up to get, make it happen to get what I want. But I, I think when it comes to education, it still uh, feels a little bit out there. I think we see it playing around with algorithms and our platforms and stuff, but it's still something that's a little bit, um, it feels like it's a little bit outside, a little bit more that affects our personal lives, you know, um, but not as deep, I think, in our educational spaces. Well, I was going to just comment on what David said, remind me of a couple of things that, you know, to me, AI is like making you a better human, mm -hmm. right? uh, enhancing your abilities to get other things done. Uh, I read a recent article, I think it was out of The Economist, where they said, you know, everybody's worried about AI taking my job and robots taking my job. And suddenly we're going to find we're going to need more robots to help us all get everything else done, right? Um, and I also think it's, it's a mentality thing like Jeff was talking about, that 
uh, you know, in our minds, we think science fiction wise, we're thinking, you know, it's like Cal 2000, it's, a, it's artificial intelligence out to kill us, right? <laughs> but then what about on the other side where it becomes like Jarvis out of Iron Man, right? That's constantly helping Tony Stark walk through problems. And Henry Kissinger just wrote a book on AI uh, with the head of Google. And one of the things he said in there, I underlined it, uh, and highlighted it is he said, AI to the students that are growing up now, it will become their friend, their mentor, their coach, their teacher. And I thought, boy, I got thinking about that. And I said, you know, he's not far off. And can I just add to that? And and I think that's where ethics comes in uh, in, in a really strong way. Um, before the pandemic, I was reading several articles of how AI was um, being infused in the school system in China, and a lot of it had to do with facial recognition and monitoring how kids paid attention, which is not kind of really the help you're looking for, you know, so it's really understanding that it can be used in ways that can, uh, that are are more positive than others, I think, too. I think that's a great point, David. In fact, let's like define what AI means to Merlin Mind. Why are we here in this conversation? Why are we talking with Phil? Why did Phil bring AI that we build into his classroom? We saw that teachers were constantly living in web-based applications, in digital content. Students and teachers were living on devices and websites, and that was part of how modern teaching and learning were happening. But there was a lot of human labor required to orchestrate all of this teaching and learning with technology as part of it. And so we specifically said, AI can do lots of things, right? It could do many, many, many different things. But what if we just did one thing really well to start with? And that was meet teachers where they're at with the technologies they're using and the devices they're using and be the assistant, not to determine which students on task, not to monitor facial recognition, but rather be there ready. So when the teacher says, hey, can you open my lesson for today? You don't have to go to your computer. Or, hey, can you switch to the other application so I can run a quiz? You don't have to go to your computer. Hey, can you pause the video at five seconds, five minutes and 30 seconds so I can talk to the class? You don't have to go and turn your back on your students. And we thought, although that might seem basic, what we've heard from teachers was, if you take the friction out of the way that I'm teaching with technology so I can focus on my students, then I can impact their lives for the better and do what I'm there to do. And that was the whole premise of how we wanted to build a custom solution for schools that were built to help teachers and students learn. That's what we went to Phil with almost two years ago in secret before anybody else knew about this. And we said, hey, is this something that you think could help in your classroom? So I think it'd be helpful to hear Phil, you again used your kind of foresight, I think, to see that this could be useful. Why? What was it about what Merlin was proposing and why we thought we could help you that resonated? Well, and, and what really started was I, I had, I'm a policy wonk. Uh, my, my two friends on, on here would be called that as well, all three of us. Um, and we feed each other information all the time. But I came across a book by Kai-Fu Lee called AI Superpowers. I read the book and I did something that is not a, a normal for me to do. I sent a copy to my superintendent's house. Mike, you've got to read this book. He calls me and said, Phil, that book scared me to death, right? And I'm sitting there going, what are we doing to prepare our students for the future? And that's where it started. We didn't even know about you guys at that point. Um, I had somebody out of, of all things, out of our EL uh, service uh, department, 
uh, send me a, a memo. Phil, I want I've got some leftover money and I want to put 70 Google uh, home pucks into the classroom. And Matt and I got behind it. Matt and I are innovators and we believe in innovation for students and our teachers. And we thought, let's try it. But then a funny thing happened. We went to meet with uh, Google. They said, absolutely not. They wouldn't give us the privacy uh, protections for the student to use. And uh, it killed the project right there. But I didn't give up hope. I said, you know, there is Alexa. And so I went clear to Las Vegas to meet with um, Amazon. And they got to the point of saying, well, we'll let you use it, but you got to keep it to 16-year-olds and older, right? Well, that wipes out all the rest of the K-8, right? Um, and I gave up. I actually said to Mike, I said, someday there will be a company. And uh, who knew during COVID, um, my, my, my dear friend, uh, Ari Fuelling, uh, from CDW, a longtime colleague in, in Q, uh, called me and said, Phil, I have an opportunity for you. She said, you know how you're always trying to, you know, talk about AI and trying to find a company that would let you put a device in the classroom and that it would do what you want it to do? I said, yeah. And she said, I want to set you up with this guy, Jason Malin, and his group and so you can go talk to him. And that's where I met you. And like Levi and I met Jason and the crew, and um, and you were top secret. You made it clear to me that this had to be really secret. And I thought you guys thought I was going to ask for one device, which is probably natural for most uh, schools. And I said, send me eight, and I'll find the seven teachers or eight teachers to use those devices during COVID. Uh, we had teachers coming into our schools using our network because our network was better than their home network, um, and they were teaching out of their own classroom. And uh, when I went forward with my volunteers, as I called them, my AI knots, as I labeled them, uh, because I, I, I went to them and I approached them and I said, uh, Brian Fish, for example, I said, Brian, I said, how would you like to have an R2-D2 assistant in your classroom? And he goes, Phil, what are you talking about? And I said, artificial intelligence. He almost had a heart attack. He said, Phil, he said, that, uh, he said that's mind blowing. He said, are you sure? Does it work? Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it, but they're shipping it to us. <laughs> and that's how it started. So the I, I hand-delivered each one, We we um, and we started off with you guys. And I think at first, uh, Levi, um, and you can correct me if I was wrong, you guys actually thought it more as a teacher, a true teacher assistant helping the teacher. Yeah, you can. From the beginning, we've kind of believed that AI in the classroom can improve student learning. Right, And the way that we thought we could get there first was by freeing the teacher to be helpful. And then, yes, we also thought maybe there's application for the students, but we definitely have focused on let's help the teacher with their workload, what they have to deal with, the technology they use, so they can be more helpful to the student. But I think, Phil, we've learned from you that we're already maybe closer to helping both than we thought, right? Well, you know, and I'll have to say my seven innovators, uh, great teachers, all of them, uh, I gave them the device, and like any teacher that you give a tool to, they find other ways to use it that you haven't thought of. And I didn't realize that they were going to invert the pyramid on us. I told them, break the Merlin. That was Jason Malin's only uh, request. And I said, break it. They want you to tell us what is wrong with it. And um, 
they put it through its pace and they were like, oh, wow, it's cool that it can, you know, open up my Google Drive. Oh, wow, it's cool. It can do this, that, and the other uh, and, and save me so much time clicking around and finding that lost file or getting that YouTube video ready or so on. And here you have the AI being that perfect assistant. But what happens is Diane Escalante, Darren Chris, some of the AI knots said, well, you know what? I'm going to use it in my instruction with the students and empower the students using the artificial intelligence. So here I have my special ed instructor out of the group. He has kids who have speech impediment problems. They wanted to learn how to use the Merlin. And the only way they could do it is talk to the Merlin, of course. And so the kids worked overtime on their speech in order to talk to the AI device, right? In Diane Escalante's second grade classroom, because you're going to, you know, when you see an AI device, your first thought is, oh, that's for high school and middle school. Well, I'm here to tell you we're going to blow that concept away because I have a great kindergarten teacher that uses it every day and a second grade teacher that is fabulous with it. And one of the things that Diane Escalante did with it is she was using it to kind of like challenging her kids. How can we beat Merlin in math? Is Merlin right? Did he get the number right and check your work? And the kids in her class began to build a relationship with the artificial intelligence device. So they started talking about Merlin like he was a person, right? And you think, wow, that's freaking me out. But think of what the children have grown up in their environment, in their, in their pop culture life. They believe everything's going to function like it does in Star Wars and Marvel comic books, right? And so they, they have less um, fear of it than their adult counterparts, right? They're willing to engage with it. Hey, do you want to meet our assistant, Merlin, over here? And so it, it changed the pedagogy, right? That we have students using it. I had another teacher who used it in a moot court situation, right? I had another teacher that was having kids actually test facts against the Merlin uh, about, you know, mileage and so on. Um, you know, so it, it's like, a Swiss army knife when you think about it. Artificial intelligence can do all kinds of things. You have to just play with it enough to figure out what it will do. So I want to hear from David and Jeff. So we zoomed in a little bit on the story of kind of Phil bringing in this application of AI that was built with kind of the privacy and security and real application of what it could help do in a classroom. Uh, thoughts on what does that story kind of represent in terms of like moving forward? How do we think about applications of AI in classrooms and the type of technology that could come in with this cutting edge AI to have impact today and set us up for the future? I think the, the thing that I see here, and this is where all teachers just excel and educators excel, you know, like Dennis or Phil was just saying, you know, it's like we took it and we used it with kids, something that we thought would be used with teachers. And that's that's really in all these cases, you put something in front of a bunch of educators and out of necessity, they suddenly just start transforming it. I've I've thought, you know, it'd be great to sit down with a bunch of teachers and the people at Zoom and have them explain to Zoom people what what they've how they've used Zoom Zoom to you know, change the way they do instruction because I'm pretty sure the Zoom people would have no idea the the ways that it's being used. I think that's the thing. Whether it's AI, a tool like Merlin, Zoom, 
the tools and apps that teachers have used over the last few years, it's always teachers just being teachers and being the creative creators themselves with their students and letting the students also come to it. I was I, I heard during the pandemic a bunch of kids who couldn't didn't have devices, didn't have connectivity, but they had phones. So they found Ring Central and they were learning using Ring Central, which is like an app not intended at all to use for education. And I think that's where there's, you know, it's like, just get out of the way and let them do it. Help make sure that we have the, the privacy and the, the security that we can, if we have, are able to, but just let, let teachers excel and then shine the bright spots on it. And just to uh, kind of build on that, I, I think it's a two-sided coin because I think you need those who can create and run with it. But I also think, I I, I believe we need some curricula and some policies where people really have deep understandings. It goes back to your question, uh, Levi, what is it? And so when kids start to really understand what it is, it's not, it's kind of like, I know how to use my computer, but I wouldn't know how to go in and build one. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's building those understandings because I think when you look at AI right now, it's really in its infancy. And when our kids start to move out in the world, I think it's going to be them taking the reins and trying to grow it and move it towards um, a different kind of maturity. And I think if we're doing both sides of that, you can create, but also have deep understandings of what it is. It's kind of like creativity. If you don't have deep knowledge to make connections, it's hard to be creative. So I think it's those two sides of the coin. Thank you. I appreciate the, the insights. It's really helpful to kind of hear, zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out. So let's zoom back in, Phil. And we have learned so much from you and your teachers. You, you talked about how this is a collaborative process, right? The way Merlin works in classrooms is because we're working with you to understand how should Merlin work in classrooms? Like what is AI really good for and how can we help your teachers? And I think together, we've come a long way in the last few years. It was definitely not as good two years ago as it is today. And it's not going to be the same a year from now and two years from now. Like we're going to keep working to improve how can AI support teaching and learning in the classroom through the Merlin application. So as you think about why it's worked, I mean, I know you guys started with a handful of pilots and now you're trying, I mean, I think you've put, committed to put this in every classroom in your district, correct? So just yeah, tell us that story. Like what happened that made it so impactful and why are you expanding so dramatically? Well, you know, any technology, you, you start small, you know, start with that, like you said, the pilot, and you start with eight to 10 users. Um, and then if it's really doing something and making impact and other teachers see it, other admins see it, um, then it, it can grow, right? And so then uh, my superintendent, Mike McCormick is a futurist, first and foremost. I, if, I, if I had a resume and I had to write his resume, futurist would be at the top. Um, Mike said to me, Phil, I saw this in a classroom today. And he said, I, I couldn't believe it. He goes, uh, let's get 25 more. And then I bought 25 more, right? And sent them out and expanded the pool, right? The more people that saw it, I started having teachers coming to me saying, hey, hey, Phil, when do I get mine? Can you get me one of those uh, AI devices? I want to try it. Or I want to do something different with it. And once again, now that I got a larger pool, I'm finding that it's always been true. Whatever technology you give a teacher, Dave may use it a different way. Jeff will use it a different way than I would use it, depending on one, what I'm teaching, two, what my goals are with it, 
Three, how does it, is it useful to help my workflow in the organization? How is it helping me achieve my goals with my students, right? And how am I making an impact by using that device? Well, I'll say one thing about the Merlin mic. If there's one thing that I think is one of its strongest selling points is the fact that it saves teachers time. I had a colleague today at the county who's only seen the Merlin in action, right? That's all. Doesn't have the Merlin, hasn't used it. And he said, you know what, Phil? I'm still thinking about that device when I came down to your district to look at it a month ago. And Mike Leflin said, you know, Phil, he goes, what, um, what it is, is he says, it's amazing how much time it says when you think about it. He goes, you say, bring up my Google slide deck on volcanoes. And you don't have to go back over to your computer and say, okay, what file did I put that in? Uh, hold on, kids, give me two minutes, right? To get everything up and running. And here you have your assistant in the flow. When you walk into Jennifer Thornton's classroom, the same thing, Jennifer uses it to do those tasks that used to take her more time. The ability, uh, if every, if I asked all my Merlin users, what's their number one uh, use? It's the timer. Oh, and number two is being able to tell uh, Merlin to put it into my Google Classroom, because we suggested that and you worked with us. And we now have that, put it in the Google Classroom command and I'll tell you what, that is super popular with, with our users. And now we have a shipment that's arriving right shortly after Thanksgiving break of another 100. And we're going to put those out into the classrooms. Uh, but concentrating now, we're equipping a whole school instead, right? We're, we're equipping one of our high schools. We're equipping one of our elementary schools and one of our middle schools. And, and from there, we hope to grow it even more. Another thing too that was valuable um, is my uh, union president of the Teachers Association saw the Merlin in action in the classrooms. And she said, wow, Phil, we should have that for everybody. Because I have a picture. When Jason Malin come out to install one of the devices, I have a picture of a teacher's desk where she had five different things laying on her desk to help her run class that the Merlin can do for her, right? So let's think about that for a moment. Where did I put my stopwatch? You know, where did I put my, you know, remote to the projector? All those different things that they use, you know, to run class. Where's that darn egg timer? I know I put it somewhere, right? Um, so we, we have to think of efficiency, right, in the classroom. We're always saying in the classroom, we don't have enough time, especially after the learning loss that occurred during COVID. We're seeing it in mathematics. I've been in three different places in the last month and everybody is talking about the mathematics loss. And David, I'm sure you're hearing that at San Bernardino County. And Jeff, I know you're hearing it at the state level. There's a concern about that. Well, AI comes in and frees up that time. It also can help us hone what we're trying to do instruction-wise because every few minutes you get is a lot to a teacher. Hey, can I add something to that real quick? Because I think what Phil said is extremely important. Um, because right now, what you hear is educators are tired. But the best thing you can do in VUCA environments where it's volatile and certain, complex and ambiguous is to learn. And when you do what Phil's talking about, when you allow people to be in a flow 
and you take away um, those obstacles to time, it allows your cognitive load to lessen, which then creates space for learning. Right now, people can't learn because their cognitive load is too much. And so what Phil was talking about right there is really important to learning during this time when people say, I, I don't have that capacity anymore. I'm just tired. There's too much. And that's really important. So that idea of bringing innovation in that does something today that people need seems like a very important piece of bringing new technology in, right? So you, you mentioned like, what is AI? What does it do for me? How does it help? We really focused on let's free the teacher up. Let's save time. Let's automate workflows. Let's decrease the focus they have on their technology so they can increase focus on their students. And what we've seen is the kind of reactions Phil's talking about, which is, oh my goodness, this is what I've always been wanting. They don't actually care that it's AI. Let's be honest, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's you, what you call it. It was helping them do the thing they were struggling to do. So as we look at like going forward in the future and the role of AI and technology, if we focus in on the problems that teachers care most about and the opportunity to engage students most, does that set us up for success? Is that the right way to apply AI? Are we onto something here or are we missing it still? Like I'd love your kind of thoughts and feedback on do we keep going down the same direction? Because we got a lot of smart people spending a lot of time and energy to build what we believe is a solution that matters and should be in every classroom. Phil, are we on the right path? I think we are. I, I, I think the greatest fear, and I know uh, Jeff and David think this way too, that one of the worries that I had after COVID is that we would suddenly go back to the future. You know, I mean, suddenly go back to the past, you know, and 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 that's a human reaction, right? Um, oh wow, you know, we 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 better buckle down and and really examine our curriculum and take a different, you know, uh, view when we also when we need to be changing our thinking, right? Uh, David and Geoff is talking about this all the time. Uh, we need to change our 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 lens. Uh, not just at the teacher level. I think teachers are very innovative, creative people. Uh, they really are, and they really care. And what we need is we need that bigger picture. And I'm and I'm blessed to have a superintendent that has that big view. You know, when Mike McCormick looks through his glasses, he's seeing the future, right? And and I think what's so important about that is if you like look at the work of uh, Bill Starbuck. He's an organizational theorist. The, the longer the arc of a crisis, the more people want to get back to what they've done prior. They want to get back to what they did before. And so I think what's important about what all of you are talking about is, in some ways, um, the, the arc of the crisis lasted a lot longer. So a lot of times we wanted to get back to what felt like normal again. And so I think it requires some regrouping and when you have tools that allow you to facilitate and uh, take load that cognitive load down, I think you can regroup and, and start to take what you learned over that time and start to push out in, in sometimes new directions, you know, but, uh, but it's finding that space to allow that learning and that regrouping to happen, I think it's really important. Well, this has been a wonderful session. Uh, I think we can kind of come to a conclusion here in a minute, but I would love to just kind of hear uh, ending thoughts, Phil, first from you on, I mean, you've been on an incredible journey in your professional career. I think there's, I can't imagine how many thousands of students 
have been lucky to learn under the technology environments and classroom settings that you and Superintendent Mike McCormick and others have created there in the Valverde Unified School District. What are your thoughts on the next step for your own district? You're bringing AI in, you're getting students ready for the future, you're trying to help America get ready to be competitive in this AI future. Quite the story. Anything else you want to share? Well, you know what? I, I, I was thinking the other day about, you know, here I was a very young teacher 30 plus years ago. Um, and my mission was educate those kids and to broaden their scope, broaden their world, right? And to motivate them, right? And, and to uh, be engaged with them. All these are buzzwords in the classroom even today, right? But it was taking that first step with that technology. I had no idea where the internet was going to take my students and myself, right? Or my colleagues. And I didn't know it would transform an organization, right? Um, and so now, you know, I have the ability to look back and say, wow, that was, that was one of other steps to follow, right? As we continue in the journey, right? It's never a marathon. It's a journey, right? It's going to be a long time before this all uh, comes to a close, right? And we sit there and I think to myself, artificial intelligence is that next step. When we think of what is the primary drivers, every time I hear any kind of policy podcast that I listen to, somewhere in the podcast, somebody says, here are the five key things our country's got to get their act together on in order to be competitive. And I swear every time somebody goes, oh, and artificial intelligence, right? And are we doing a service to the kids of our community, a very poor community? Um, at most, you know, we're an economic polygon in uh, Valverde. We should lift the kids up, right? I think from my um, childhood, I grew up near an Amish community, right? A Quaker Amish community where uh, they did barn raisings. And if you've never seen a barn raising, it's some, a sight to be seen. And you're saying, Phil, where are you going with this barn raising analogy and technology? Well, here's the point. We got to help kids raise the barns, right? And we got to give them the tools to do that. And we got to think about what's that like for them economically in the future. Every person here in this podcast, we have a motivation for making sure those kids have a bright economic future, right? And our country has a bright future. Um, I know that's like taking, you know, a very, a very big view of, of what we do. Um, but, you know, every, every day when I come to work, one of the things that's always back in the mind is, what can I do today to make a difference? And the men who raised me from my childhood, that's one of the things that was ingrained in me, is what are you doing today to make a difference for others, right? And, and that's the impact we should have, no matter what the technology is. Hey, if I can put the last part into an equation, it'd be, Time minus load equals flow. Um, that will probably end up in our marketing, David. That's genius. <laughs> <laughs> We're copywriting that, by the way, Levi. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I think the, the thing a lot of us are looking at, we had this conversation again, I keep going back to last week when I was talking to some other states. You know, looking at AI, looking at all of these things and looking at the trends, looking at how, but also just not 
being for being thoughtful and not just going headlong into what's next because there are some bright spots there are some good things there were some successes there's some things that need to adapt but it's like you know let's see like in this in phil's case how's a workout what happens let's see what they watch the case study play out and then we'll you know learn from it as opposed to like on to the next because we can be pretty um we can have pretty ad pretty bad add you know this that and the other thing in education it's like let's stop for a second look and breathe and be intentional like phil's or david's point look at the flow and and see what's working what doesn't and where do we need to go next um after this last three years we've had and just to, to add on that from Jeff is I think the hardest thing and the most important thing we need to do right now is move from being knowing organizations to being learning organizations. And yeah. and you, you have to create spaces where people can learn. And, and I think that reaches to what Jeff and Phil say, you know, creating that space where people can actually learn in a way that people understand what this is moving towards. If you look across the team at Merlin Mind, what we found is we can find the world leading experts in artificial intelligence, machine learning, design, computer science, like up and down the stack, whether it's like chip level, how do you design chips to how do I design apps to how do I sell and market things? We have found that professionals who want to make a difference in the world have been drawn to the cause of Merlin Mind because they care about using their life to do something good. And we all believe that if we can help teachers and we help students, we did something that mattered. And if we end our lives tomorrow, we can say, you know what? At least we did something that we thought could make the world better and we help teachers and students and we use technology in a way that was productive. So the mission of Merlin Mind is continue to apply AI to help teachers and students teach and learn in a way that they couldn't yesterday, but we hope is better tomorrow. So we're going to keep coming back to experts like you, David, and Jeff, and Phil to guide us on our mission, because I think the idea of companies and school leaders working together to create the technologies that are used in schools, to Phil's point, it's the only way it really works, right? We have to do this together. So thank you so much for being our guides, our kind of experts on this mission and for working with us. It's been a fantastic journey so far with Valverde Unified School District and you, Phil. And I know David and Jeff, we've had now a few years of kind of coming back and learning from each other. And I hope we have many more in the in, in kind of the future to come. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Supervised Learning. Until next time, keep learning. <laughs>